Well, good morning and a happy new year to everyone. Seems kind of strange to be saying that. I know we've been looking forward to uh, 2021 for a long time, and it is finally here, and not much has changed. But we're getting there, at least I hope we're getting there. I hope that very soon we'll be able to meet back together completely. When's that going to come? I don't know. Uh, but we're trusting that the Father will, will bring us back soon. Uh, in the meantime, we continue to dive into God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 6, um, a passage where we see the, the choosing of the first deacons. We also see uh, one of those deacons, Stephen, uh, head towards a, well, death, stoning. Uh, Stephen will be our first martyr. Today we're going to meet Stephen as one of those first seven deacons. We'll discover uh, as we read this passage and open it up that when we look for leaders, we look for three C's. Character, competency, and calling. Character, competency, and calling. And the great of, greatest of those is character. Because leaders with godly character are leaders that love well, like Christ does. Let's open up God's Word in Acts chapter 6, and I encourage you to read along with me. Beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the growth of your church that we see in Acts chapter 6. Lord, thank you for the way that you teach us about leaders that, that love well and that serve well. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray, Father, that we would be leaders like that in the church. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you would open up our hearts, that you would transform us with your amazing grace. Father, I pray for this one that would preach your word on this morning. Lord, that you would, you would use the, the, this man, this broken vessel, to pour out good, clean, living water for your people, the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today, after the 11 o'clock service, we will ordain... Uh, Three officers, two deacons and one elder will ordain Jason Russell uh, and Glenn Baer to the office of, of the diaconate. And then we'll uh, ordain uh, Grant Thorpe as an elder. Now, Grant's been a deacon. We're going to ordain him as an elder today in person after the 11 o'clock service. Be in prayer for them and for that time. When we look for leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, staff, uh, men, women, when we look for leaders, we're looking for for men and women that fit these characteristics that we see in Acts chapter 6. We're, what we're going to discover is that they have those three characteristics, character, competency, 
and calling. And the greatest of those is character. And we'll explain why as we go through this. These three C's, character, competency, and calling, are revealed most vividly in the midst of a crisis. Uh, we've had a crisis in, in our nation, in our world, for the last, well, 10 months now since, since COVID kind of uh, hit us broadside. The, the church of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 6 is in a bit of a crisis. Not a, not a huge one, but a bit of one. And, and a lot of it is caused not by, uh, by intentional oversight, but just by massive growth, explosive growth of the church. A crisis has hit the church. So let's, let's talk about that crisis just a little bit, and we'll see how it revealed um, character and competency and calling and led to the first diaconate. What was going on here is we had the explosive growth of the church to the point that we had over 20,000 members in the church. 20,000 members. Now, they weren't all meeting in one place at one time every day, but somehow they were, they were able to meet together and they were meeting in small groups in different places. We know that from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. We see what God was doing there. Here, we, we see that, that there was a, a, a need for great mercy for those that were part of the church of Jesus Christ. With 20,000 people, there were a lot of, a lot of them that were um, Jews that were uh, Aramaic speaking, that were uh, from Israel, that were residents of Jerusalem perhaps and, and the surrounding countryside. And then there were a lot that were Greeks, Greek Jews, Hellenists, and they were from elsewhere. They had come here perhaps for, uh, for the Passover and then they had stayed. Maybe they'd come for Pentecost and then they had stayed. Uh, one thing we also know is that a lot of, of, of Greek Jews, as they headed towards the end of their life, they would return to Jerusalem so that they would spend their last days there in, in the holy city. So we, we had a lot of, of Greek widows that were here that might have outlived their husbands, and they had moved to this place. We have Greek widows, Jewish widows, that might have become believers in Jesus Christ, and their husbands had kicked them out of the home. Believe it or not, that happened. Uh, we, we also had Jewish or, or um, Israeli widows from Jerusalem, Aramaic speaking, that had been kicked out of their home or they had outlived their husbands. And so we had widows that were, uh, that were from Jerusalem, natives of Jerusalem, not Greek widows. And so we had this mix of, of different peoples. Uh, sad to say, there was tension amongst them. Now, they were all Jewish, and now they were all believers in Jesus Christ. So they worshiped Christ together. And yet there was still a sort of a racial tension. The Pharisees, in fact, mocked those that were Greek Jews. It's one of the reasons that Paul had struggles as he moved in to his role as an apostle later on, because he was a Greek Jew, okay? So, uh, or he had a, a Greek, Greek lineage. So we, we see that there is a, um, there, there's tension amongst the individuals. The tension was heightened because the Greek widows were being left out of the distribution, is what we read in, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, that that mean, means that they were left out of the distribution of, of food. Now maybe, um, as Kent Hughes mentions, maybe um, as loaves of bread were being passed out, uh, the Aramaic-speaking widows received two loaves of bread, and the Greek-speaking widows uh, would have received one loaf of bread or something like that. Uh, Hughes also points out that the, the oversight uh, might have been intentional in some places. It might have been imagined in other places. 
But whichever it was, there was a real feeling of, uh, of being left out amongst the Greek widows. They bring this to the attention of the apostles. And there was this, this division that was taking place there. It was a crisis of care. It wasn't a lack of love. It wasn't a lack of love. We know that because as soon as the apostles are made aware of the struggle, they do something about it. They just weren't aware of it. I mean, think about it. You've got 12 apostles, and you have 20,000 members in the church. Now, somehow these 20,000 members are being, being fed something, those that were widows, those that were hurting, those that didn't have jobs. Somebody's taking care of those physical needs. So there, there was something that was happening organically, and the apostles were letting it happen. People were using their spiritual gifts and loving each other well. We know from John chapter 13, Jesus says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So there was some love going on, but somebody was being missed, right? And that happens. They made it known they were being missed. The apostles took action uh, immediately to, to alleviate this, this crisis of care. See, love is more than just a, a feeling. Love is... Love is action. And so the apostles jumped into loving in, in action to make sure that everyone is seen, uh, that everyone is loved. What are they going to do and how are they going to do it? Well, verse 4, they, we read that um, says, but, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They had said in verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Well, there's more going on than just that, okay? They're doing more than preaching the word, and they're doing more than praying. There, there's counseling going on. There's, there's meetings that are going on between the 12 apostles and other disciples. So they're not just standing up and preaching in a public place, and that's the preaching of the word they're talking about. There's individual teaching of the word of God. There's teaching of small groups that's going on, on from home to home and in the public places. There's also the ministry of prayer. Prayer develops character and prayer causes us uh, to love one another in an ever deeper way. So all that's going on. When they say that it's not right for us to stop doing these things to serve tables, it's more than just serving tables. Think about it. You don't get 20,000 people sitting at tables uh, in the temple square in Jerusalem. You can't fit enough tables in that place to feed 20,000 people. So it's not that there was a literal serving and waiting on tables that the apostles are talking about, but they are drawing a contrast. The contrast is that we have got to keep teaching the Word of God, and we've got to delegate and let someone else do these, these things, these works of mercy, making sure that everyone is seen, everyone is cared for physically, that everyone is fed. Because if we stop teaching and preaching the Word of God, if we stop the ministry of prayer and preaching and teaching and delegating and raising up individuals, we stop the work of discipleship, then the church will fall, the church will fail, the church will go away, and no one will be serving anyone. The teaching of the Word of God is the foundation, if you will. What's going on over here is the raising up of the walls of the house, putting the roof on the house. If there's no foundation, there is no building. The building can be beautiful, the walls can be beautiful, the roof can be beautiful, but if there's no foundation, it will all eventually crumble. The apostles know this, and so they are, they are making sure that we're going to keep doing the things that are important. The preaching of the word had to continue. 
there needed to be some sort of a delegation taking place. This principle of delegating that we find here in Acts chapter 6 is not new. We see it back in Exodus chapter 18 when Moses has the the people of God uh, in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Uh, There were anywhere from 600,000 to 2 million, depending on which numbers you look at. Any way you look at it, that's a lot of people. Moses was serving as the leader for all of those at one time. So how did he do that? Well, he did it very poorly. In Exodus chapter 18, his father-in-law, Jethro, enters into the scene, and he watches Moses try to do this, try to lead the people from early in the morning to late at night. He's worn out. The people aren't being cared for in the way they need to be cared for. Jethro comes to him, and he offers him advice. Moses, in humility, receives it and puts into practice what Jethro had given to him. So what Moses did is he delegated the work of of judging, of leading the the people, the large congregation of a couple of million people, to to men, leaders that would would, um, oversee a thousands, groups of a thousand, groups of fifties, groups of tens. And so he set up parishes, if you will, a a shepherding system of sorts, of tens and, and fifties and a thousand, and was able to shepherd the whole congregation of of the Jewish encampment in the wilderness. So what we see in Acts chapter 6 has a precedent from way back in in Exodus chapter 18. It's a biblical thing. It's more than just good business sense. So don't think that these guys are just grabbing some business principles. Although biblical-wise, biblical uh, principles for the church are also good for business, for military, for government. But they have their foundation here in Scripture. It's a biblical thing that we're doing here, this delegation, this discipleship that's taking place. But it's, it's not just so that the work can get done. Uh, it's so the apostles can get out of the way. As the church is growing that large, if the apostles are trying to do everything, just as if I were trying to do everything here at EP, then they're getting in the way of people using the spiritual gifts God has given them. And I would be getting in the way of people at EP using the spiritual gifts God has given to you. God has given to all of us spiritual gifts, and he intends for us to use them. So it's, it's not that if you're a part of EP, you're, you're a volunteer, and you're asked to do volunteer work. It's that you're a member of the body of Christ. And as a Christian, a member of the body of Christ, God has given you spiritual gifts, and he intends for you to use them. Now, if, if the leadership at EP is doing all of the work, then we're getting in the way. and We're sinning against you and not letting you use the gifts that God has given to you. Well, where do we see gifts, these spiritual gifts that you talked about? Well, uh, look in Romans 12, for example, beginning in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So everybody has different functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So there's different gifts that people have. You see spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. That's another list there. Uh, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and you see different 
list of spiritual gifts there. Isn't that interesting? Chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. What about chapter 13? Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is a, is a chapter of rebuke. Okay? Uh, a chapter of rebuke and strong instruction. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So right there in the middle of those two, those two lists of gifts in chapter 12 and 14, you've got 13. The rebuke, the instruction that we get in 13 is that chapter of love. You might have thought that that was just for a wedding. Well, uh, be careful if you're going to use it for a wedding because it was a, a chapter of strong rebuke that Paul sent to the church in Corinth. Well, we're told that if we're using these gifts without love, then we are a clanging cymbal. We're a gong. I mean, we're, we're a loud noise. We're not using spiritual gifts at all. That love covers all of that. So everything we do, we're to do with, with the love of Christ. All of these spiritual gifts that we have, the, the very act of delegating to the deacons and creating this diaconate is so that we might love the church of Jesus Christ better. So the solution of the, the apostles is that the church there is to choose seven from amongst their 20,000 members. Chosen by the people and the apostles would ordain them by praying for them and laying on hands and setting them out to do the work. So were these seven then to serve 20,000? Not hardly. Not hardly. If seven are going to serve 20,000, then that means each one of those seven deacons has just under 3,000 people that he's supposed to take care of. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's got to be less than that. So how do they do it? These seven weren't literally set aside to serve and wait on the tables. They were to build up teams of others that would wait on the tables, uh, that would serve the individuals and make sure the physical needs of the body are being cared for, to make sure that no one's left out. So even our diaconate, our diaconate isn't required, isn't called by God to do the work themselves physically, but to raise up people in the body of Christ and equip them to use the spiritual gifts God has given them, that God has given you to do the work of the body of Christ, the body of Christ doing the work of Christ in the love of Christ. So these seven lead us as servant leaders in Acts chapter 6. The apostles, the elders, they're responsible for the spiritual needs of the church, for praying, for teaching, for shepherding. The deacons are responsible then to focus on the mercy here in, the, in Acts chapter 6 and in 2021 even here at EP. They focus on works of mercy. They're also responsible to care for the physical needs of the people and of the church so that the apostles, later the elders, are able to focus on the ministries of prayer, teaching of the word, shepherding the spiritual needs of the body. They both have leadership responsibilities, raising up, delegating, discipling the body of Christ to do the work of Christ and the love of Christ. Let's get back to how they were chosen for a moment if we can. Let's focus not just on, not on the crisis so much as those other three C's of, of calling and, and character and competency. The calling that you see here is that the apostles gave to the people qualifications for a calling, that they were to be of good repute, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Now, we'll see those unpacked a little bit more later, later on when we talk about character, okay? 
But to be of good repute means good reputation, that they had a good reputation with everybody. In Second Timothy or First Timothy three, we see that there's a um, there's a list of, of qualifications for elders and deacons, and one of those is that they have a, a, a good reputation, that they are above reproach, not just with those inside the church, but with those that are outside the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that even even the love that they give to people inside the church, they also give to people outside the church. Everyone sees the love of Christ in them. They've got a good reputation. They're also full of the Holy Spirit and, and of wisdom. Again, we'll talk more about that and unpack that more when we talk about character in a moment. Listen, their calling has nothing to do with their business success. You can have great business success and not be called as a deacon or an elder. You can be have horrible business success but be called as an elder or deacon by God. It has nothing to do with business success. It has nothing to do with your success in the military. It has nothing to do with your success in government. It has nothing to do with your leadership in a secular world. The calling of Christ to serve as a leader in his church, whether it's as an elder or deacon, whether it's as a staff member, whether it's as a pastor, that calling is different than that. The church of Jesus Christ isn't a business. It isn't the military. It isn't the government. It's different. All of those things come under. The church of Jesus Christ is to lead us. We get our worldview, the way we live and love and go and give and think and thrive, the way we do business, the way we serve in the military, the way we serve in government. We get all of that from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we serve in those other areas because of who we are in Christ not the other way around. So the church of Jesus Christ has to come first. The leadership that God calls and requires, the character, the calling, the competency that he requires for the leaders in the church is of a different sort. You can be extremely wealthy, phenomenally good at business, phenomenal leader on a battlefield or in a government courtroom and not be called or qualified to be an elder or deacon in the church of Jesus Christ. There's an inner calling and there's also an outer calling. Uh, we read in Timothy, for example, that the, the one that desires the office of an elder or deacon. So there's an inner calling there that, that you, you feel that maybe God's calling you to that. But then there's an, also an outer calling where uh, the church, obviously here in, in Acts chapter 6, has chosen these. They have affirmed we don't know how many were, were, were put forth. Maybe it was 10, maybe it was 20, maybe it was 700. We don't know. And we don't know the process by which they chose the seven. But there was an outer confirmation from someone else that they were, that they were chosen and they were called by God for this role. Now, just because you might feel an inner calling doesn't mean that there's an outer calling. It doesn't mean that God truly has called. So you want to test that calling. You test it by serving in those ways that you feel like you might have been called to serve. For example, I've spoken to several young men that feel like, hey, um, God's told me I need to date that woman, or God's told me in one case, I'm gonna marry that woman. Well, the month goes by, the year goes by, a decade goes by, and that woman's married with children, and that guy's still single, waiting for her to come to her senses. And I've seen vice versa. You know, where this woman is convinced she's had this vision from God that I'm going to marry that man. And that man just doesn't know it yet. Well, that man hasn't even met her yet. 
And the decade goes by, and then another decade goes by, and she's still single, and that guy has married someone else, and they have children of their own, and they're walking with the Lord. Just because you might have some emotional feeling, my friends, you need to test that with the counsel of, of wise men and women, uh, with the doing of the work that, you're, that you feel like you might be called to do. We look for men that are called as elders and deacons. It's best to look for men that are already serving in those ways. And, and you see that, that there's something going on there that's affirmed. And then the congregation sees that and they affirm that inward calling that might or might not be there. So calling is calling's important. More important than, than calling, though, really is, is character. You can have the calling, but if the character isn't there to execute that calling, then it's going to fall flat. In chapter 6 and verse 3, <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. There, there's a character uh, clause here in Acts chapter 6 and, and verse Verse 3, that they're to be full of, of good repute, a, a good reputation. There was a time in our, in our country when we looked for men to be, uh, men and women to be leaders in government offices, and we, we had such phrases as character matters and character counts. And it mattered and it counted until we decided that, you know, what they're going to do for us is more important than their character. And so we, we became willing as a country to sacrifice character that we might have our, our needs met. Character matters. Character counts. And my friends, I would say to you that character is more important than calling or competency, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. Character is of preeminent importance. There to be men here and that are the, the first deacons that are be, be full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 5 with me, if you will. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To be full of the, the Holy Spirit means that we're walking and living in that way. My friends, you might, you might be listening to this this morning, sitting you know, at, at home, uh, wherever you are. You might be already ordained as an elder or deacon, but these are not the qualities of your life. Well, one of two things has to happen. Either the, there needs to be repentance and growth. And remember, repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance means that there's a father standing there ready to receive our repentance and our confession and offer his forgiveness. That's beautiful. I love repentance. Um, repentance is a beautiful thing. See, the repentance and, and has to happen where we recognize we're in sin and we move back to Christ. Or, or you need to step aside from serving as an elder or deacon because these qualities, if these qualities are not in your life. So one of those two things has to happen. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience 
and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are the requirements for these new deacons. It also says that it'll be full of wisdom. Now wisdom is taking these character qualities, this intimate servant relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and making decisions that are in keeping with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So it's making decisions according to that. So full, full of wisdom. These men that were chosen were so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of wisdom, that 20,000 individuals were able to see that. And we see other qualifications for elders and, and deacons over in 1 Timothy in chapter 3. We see that the overseer must be above reproach. It's a good reputation. That above reproach is that overarching thing that covers all of this. The husband of one, one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. That means he's inviting others into his home. Able to teach. That doesn't mean he's able to teach in a public sphere and wow the crowds. That doesn't mean he's a great orator. What that means is that he understands the word of God. The law came through Moses. Grace and, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He understands the covenant and the intimate relationship we have with Christ through Jesus. So he's able to understand that, able to teach that and impart that to others. That's what it means that he's able to teach. He's not a drunkard. He's not violent, but he's gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He's not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit. So pride and conceit are not the, not the characteristics of an elder or a deacon in the church of Jesus Christ. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, a good reputation with outsiders. You see similar qualifications for a deacon. Character, character matters. We, we draw a distinction between a leader and a manager here at, at times. A leader is, is someone that when he speaks to others and he leads others, they feel like they're important. A manager is, is someone that when he speaks to others, well, maybe they feel like he's important. A leader is someone that's able to sacrifice. There's one to sacrifice himself on behalf of those that he's discipling, of those he's serving. We get that picture from Jesus Christ, who even though he was king, did not, did not count that as something to be grasped, but, but made himself a servant, even giving up his life on a cross that you and I might have life forever. So a leader loves to the point of giving himself up. Love is the chief character quality of a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. Not doing things right, but love. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He tells him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's being willing to lay aside all of your dreams, all of your life, all of your plans, that you might follow Christ because you love him more than you love your own plans. You love his righteousness more than you love your own. And it's enabled being able to love others in the same way that Christ loves you, you love others. 
giving to them the same grace as he has given to you. With that same, well, with that same gentleness and lowliness of heart that Jesus gave to you and to me. Love is our chief character quality. And that character takes precedence over performance and over competency every day. Think of Anakin Skywalker. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know who he is. If you're not, go look it up. If you're not, you should be. Anakin Skywalker, um, master Jedi, right? Competent to the core. I mean, he was, he was as competent as a Jedi could get. Uh, he was certainly called as a Jedi. I mean, he had calling, so he had competency. What was he missing? He was missing character. So in, in an effort to, to purchase back some part of his family, uh, his wife, his secret wife, he, he moves over to the dark side and he takes the bait and he compromises his character and becomes not Anakin Skywalker, but Darth Vader. What are you willing to sell your character for? What's the price of your character? See, a, a godly character isn't for sale because a godly character is wrapped up in the love of Jesus Christ and cannot help but give that love away. Character trumps performance and calling every time. Competency is still a, care, a quality, though, of those that we would be, see as called to the office of deacon or elder. It's competency to do what the tasks involved. The deacon for the elder, listen, the task, it's a task, it's not a title. It's a task, not, not a title. Um, so we have to keep, keep that in mind. What's the task that's involved? Well, for the apostles and for elders later on, they must not neglect prayer and the ministry of the word. For the deacons, it's much more than serving tables or watching a monitor. It's, it's raising people up and doing the work, works of mercy so that the people of, of God feel and experience the love of Jesus Christ for them. See, when, if, if the world around us, if all they see is us talk about the love of Christ, but they don't see the love of Christ, then they want nothing to do. Our words are just, they're just empty words. They're clanging gongs. If what they see, though, is a result of what we proclaim, if we proclaim the love of Jesus Christ for them, and we actually act it out, well, that's a different picture, isn't it? Then there's ministry of word and of deed. And they want some of that. The world sees that we are his disciples when we act out the love of Christ. Humble, holy character makes up for the shortcomings and competency. If you don't have all the competencies as a deacon or an elder, a pastor, a leader in the church, but you've got character, godly, holy, Jesus-like character, well, that makes up for the competencies. But great competency will never lack up or make up for a lack of Christ-like character, ever. I think of Samwise Gamgee, one of my favorite characters ever in, in The Lord of the Rings. Samwise had a calling, he had a charge from Gandalf to stay by Frodo's side. Don't you leave him, Sam. Sam stayed by Frodo's side. Was he competent to do everything he needed to do for Frodo? No, there was times when Sam was a, well, he was a, a bumbling buffoon at times. Um, he made mistakes. He wasn't always of the utmost competent, 
see, but, but he had character. So even towards the end, when, when Frodo had to carry the ring, only Frodo could carry the ring to Mount Doom, Sam offered to take it from him, to carry it for him, but he couldn't. Frodo wouldn't let him. It wasn't Sam's to carry, it was Frodo's to carry. Sam's response is telling. This is where character overcomes a lack of competency. Frodo said, I may not be able to carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. A Christ-like leader carries their people when they can't carry their people's load. They carry their people with the love of Jesus Christ. Character triumphs over competency. Call incompetency character, but the greatest of these by far is character. These are called as servant leaders, servant leaders that are mutually submissive one to another. As the word of God continued to be proclaimed because the elders were focusing on that and on prayer, on shepherding, the deacons were serving. As this continued to happen, the church of Jesus Christ grew and grew and grew. One of those um, first deacons was a guy named Stephen. We'll open up more as we continue in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And we see our first martyr, this mighty, mighty man of God. As Stephen, a deacon, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ so beautifully. We see Philip that became the father of the church for North Africa, one of the deacons. So deacons aren't, 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 aren't only to take care of the physical needs of the body of Christ. They're still men of God and they still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they do so powerfully, at least in the case of Stephen and Philip. What's the result of all, all of that? Well, God is glorified. The word continued to increase. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why does God throw all those things in there? The word of God increased. Disciples multiplied. Great many priests. He doesn't just say some priests believe. He doesn't say the church grew. He gave us these details that are crucial. He doesn't tell us just that the word of God was preached. He said it was increasing as it went out beyond even even this place. The disciples were multiplied. Listen, if you add disciples, uh, you have one this year, you have one next year, one the next year. After five years, you've got five disciples. If you disciple five this year, and then each one of them disciple five the second year, well, then there's 25, not five. You've already passed your five-year thing of addition. Disciples are to be multiplied. And then those 25, each disciple five others, and, and, and you've got 125. And then they each disciple five others, and you've got 625. So it just keeps on growing and growing and growing in that way. So the disciples were multiplying. What God's telling us here is that there wasn't a trickling of growth in the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ continued to explode, and not just in number, but the kinds of people that were coming to Christ. He says a great many of the priests believed. These priests were the ones that had caused such problems for, for the young disciples, for Peter and John early on. And they're the ones that were causing problems for the church. And he's saying a great many of those believed. My friends, even those that are enemies of the church of Jesus Christ, when they hear the gospel of Christ, and they see the love of the people of Christ for each other and for the world around them, my friend, lives are changed. God is glorified and his church grows. That's what we want to see. People coming to know Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you this morning, if you're sitting there 
and you want to get more involved and, and use the gifts that God is giving to you, then I encourage you to, to contact me or Nathan, Pastor Nathan, uh, one of the other leaders in the church, elders, deacons, staff members, and talk to us about them. We'd love to find ways for you to plug in to the church of Jesus Christ using the gifts that God has given to you. If you're listening this morning, you're watching, and you're not a believer in Christ, listen, I want to encourage you to, to make a change in that even today. To turn to Christ, and like the great many of priests believed, you also believe and trust that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That his words are not just empty words. His love for you is real. That as a servant leader, he gave up his life that you might have life forever. And the church of God increases. And you know the peace of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for, for, the, for the new deacons in Acts chapter 6. And for elders and deacons that will be ordained even here today at EP. Lord, I thank you for this church. I do pray, Lord, that uh, this pandemic would, would be done, Father, but even in the midst of the pandemic that you would use us to love the city of Annapolis, Anne Arundel County, Maryland, our nation, our world, that you would use us to love with the love of Jesus Christ in action. Father, show us how we can feed others practically loving the folks that live around us, not just in the church, but outside the church, that you might be glorified and others might know the hope of heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.